Good morning. It's good to see each one of you here this morning. It's a great day to uh, come into God's presence and to worship Him. As we head into this week of Thanksgiving, we're going to start this morning by simply saying, God, we are grateful for all that you've done, for what you've brought us through, for all the joy and the love that you give us. And so uh, let's stand together and give thanks to our great God and King. Two, three, four. This is the day that you have made. I won't complain, for all my joy is in your name, and now your joy awaits my praise. I give thanks for all you have done, and I will sing of your mercy. Thanksgiving. I was watching Dr. 
Stanley this morning, and he says, when you think of Thanksgiving, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Turkey. Being able to be able to be thankful. We are thankful for all that God's done, and as we approach Thanksgiving, we want to come before God with a, a super thankful heart for all that He's blessed us with. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at um, Joshua 24 and choices and decisions and as Joshua calls people into uh, rededicating their life and their, their covenant commitment, covenant is a very important thing. Covenant is, is that relationship, but we're going to unpack it a little bit later. And you can make a covenant and you can rededicate yourself in a lot of different times, a lot of different ways in your life. But one of the, the primary ways that a believer enters into that, that covenant relationship with God is through a personal decision of accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then declaring that personal decision through baptism. And the idea of baptism is something that is not new with Christianity. It was part of, part of Judaism, and it was the outward sign of being able to uh, show that, that inward commitment as unto God. So when we think about baptism, we're going to have a baptism service. Actually, we're going to have a baptism this service, Next service, and then and then following the third service, we have uh, just based on stuff, we're going to have people do that. So the kids are going to come in, and they're watching um, someone get baptized this morning. This morning, we are going to baptize Jason Tyndall, who is good. Who is going to? Yeah, you can applaud him. That's good. That's good. Well, we've got to understand what baptism is. And as I share this, as I do with all the services, if you are listening to this and God moves on your heart to be baptized, even today, right now, we'll baptize you right now. We've got extra towels in the back. You're good. So with that, but really, baptism is that outward sign of that inward confession and, and commitment. Baptism, by definition, baptizo means to immerse. It was something that was part of the, the textile industry when they would take a, a cloth, a white cloth, and they wanted to make it blue or red or whatever. They would take that cloth and they would immerse or baptize that cloth into the dye. And then when it came out, it would be the same color of the dye. That's what the definition of baptism means. And so it was picked up as a practice if you were a non-Jew and you wanted to confess that you wanted to convert to Judaism or proselyte, you would be baptized. If you were preparing to go to worship, you would go through a mikvah, which was a, a kind of a, a, a ceremonial baptism or a cleansing or a washing. And that's where we get the idea so many times people say, well, baptism is a washing away of your sins. No, it's not. Jesus took care of that at the cross. What it is, is you are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're making that public confession. Because it's really hard to be able to say, well, yeah, I'm a Christ follower on the inside, but how do I demonstrate that outside? How do I, how do I make that choice and declare that choice publicly? And so, in, in Judaism and also in the Christian faith, this is what we do. And we do it, as Paul tells us, in Romans chapter 6 says, what should we say then? And there was this whole conversation about sin and grace. So somebody thought, well, you know, if, if I sin, then I get grace. Maybe I should sin some more so I get more grace. No, it doesn't work that way. So Paul needed to clarify this. 
And he says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in that newness of life. For if we have been become united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that this old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with and that we might no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. What does that mean? Well, in baptism, for the believer, what we're saying is, I'm identifying with Jesus who died on the cross. I'm also identifying with Jesus who was buried in the tomb. And I'm identifying with Jesus who rose from the tomb to walk in victorious living from sin. And so, how do we show that? We show that through baptism. So as Jason will come up, and he's going to give testimony here in a minute, he's, he's going to sit, and then he's going to be buried in the water, just like Jesus was buried, and then come out and, and going to show that. So, Jason, if you want to come up, that'd be great. So this is Jason Tindall. Everybody say hi to Jason. You guys all know him. So, so part, of, part of baptism is public confession. So, Jason, have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yes, absolutely. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Well, that's part of the things I can't remember that born-again moment. Um, from an early childhood age, I remember, I have several memories about Jesus, and, and even an understanding that he came to die for my sins, and he's the son of God. Um, but it, it bothered me for a long time that I, didn't, I couldn't recall that born-again moment. So after kind of struggling with that, the, the thought finally occurred to me that, um, Jesus said, be born again. You don't have to remember when you're born again. So the important thing for me is that I know I believe now. Um, he also said, be baptized. And I was baptized when I was young, uh, sprinkled, if you will. Um, but it wasn't a decision, a personal decision that I came to on my own. And our current study here through Joshua, it, it's... Um, kind of made me realize that, you know, crossing the Jordan is a picture of baptism. And you can either enter into what God has planned for you, or you can remain on the outskirts. And I, I, a sermon a few weeks ago, the I can't remember exactly, but the words basically you said were, you know, don't settle. And that's where I'm at. I don't want to settle. So today I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord because I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Praise God. Good job. All right, let's go get baptized. We thought about putting a rubber ducky in here, but I don't (laughs) 
Let's go ahead and join with me as we pray over Jason. Father, I thank you for Jason. I thank you for his heart and his love for you. Lord, I thank you for his friendship and his ministry here to the church. And God, you are working and always working in our hearts. And Lord, calling us to that place to follow after you every day. Lord, as Jason confessed his love for you, his belief in you, Lord, I know that in his heart you've transformed him. And now publicly he is following after you in obedience in baptism. So Lord, I praise you and thank you for this. And, and may you bless him for this act of obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to hold your nose? Jason, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Say good morning to them and uh, remind them that you love them this morning, and then you can be seated again. With that, we're going to have the ushers come forward for this morning's uh, offering as we continue to worship through giving. Giving is a way that we can worship God through song. We worship God and through the study of God's Word. It's a great study this morning on Joshua 24 and choosing. So let's pray. God, I thank you. You are amazing and kind. You provide more than we could ever think or want or imagine. You know our needs before we even ask. And when we ask, it gives us that awareness that you're the one providing. And so, Lord, we come before you with a grateful heart and a thankful heart for all the provision that you've done. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we want, we want to thank you for being always faithful. We pray blessings over this offering. May you use it for your kingdom's purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou
Just from your word this morning again, how we continue to keep the first thing first and to always choose you each and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be well, if you would, open your Bibles up to the last chapter of Joshua, Joshua 24. So many times we, we live our lives and... and we share a lot of thoughts and ideas and words, but we tend to give a whole lot more weight to last words. We think about these last words that are shared when someone's about to die. We really pay attention to what they're saying. We really pay attention to these words, these last moments of their lives, and, and because it, it cements it somehow in our memory. We remember those last words. Think about somebody that you, that you really care for and some the last conversations you had with them. It's much easier to remember that conversation than maybe some passing conversation that you had during their life. Why? Because it, it's so connected to that emotion that is there. And we, we usually find these words to be words of encouragement or words of, of hey, this is, this is how I want you to... To, to move forward when I'm gone and those kinds of things. It's, it's the last embedded memory that we have. 
You think about the words of Jesus. And I got to thinking about his first words in ministry. His first words in ministry was at the wedding feast when he said to his, his, the servants where his mom said, he says, I must be about my father's business. Those were his first words. His last words on the cross before he died was tetelestai. Do you know what tetelestai means? Paid in full. I must be about my father's business paid in full. They, they bracket or create what's called an inclusio, a bracketing of the ministry and the life of Jesus. And within this, we see that he had finished that work. We come to Joshua 24 today because this is the end of Joshua's life. These are his last words to the nation of Israel that he's been leading for so long and living with. And, and, and he's done a lot with this people. They've experienced a lot. They've, they've come into the land. You think about all the life that had been lived with Joshua and the nation of Israel. And these are his last words. And he's going to call to make a choice. One of the things that he encourages them to do is to remain loyal to the Word of God. When I'm gone, remain loyal to the Word of God within this. Now, this is the second address we covered a couple weeks ago, Joshua 23, which was Joshua's address to the elders of the leadership. This address is different because it addresses the totality of the nation. Joshua has been the leader. He took over for Moses in taking him into this land. And as he brings the whole nation together, he's calling for them for a renewal of covenant. One of the challenges is in your, in your Christian journey and your walk with God is to always be in that place of being refreshed in your covenant commitment, in your relationship with God. It can get stale, you can wander away, and, and you need to have those anchor points with this. And what's interesting is throughout the nation of Israel, there was always this call of a renewal, a rededication within this. Why would Joshua want the people, to be able to renew their covenant. Well, as the individual goes, so goes the family. As the family goes, so goes the community. As the community goes, so goes the nation. Look at our world today. You want to affect change? Quit trying to change the world. Change yourself. If every person renewed that covenant relationship with God in their heart, can you imagine what would happen? And it's from an inward, outward growth and transition. Now, one of the things that I think is important to understand is covenant. We talk about covenant often. Covenant is agreement between two people. You have what's called a bilateral covenant, and that's an agreement between two people where two parties say, we covenant to do this together. You have a responsibility and I have a responsibility. Then there's what's called the unilateral covenant. That's a covenant agreement between two people where only one party has responsibility to fulfill it. We have a number of different, six different covenants total in the Bible. We have the Adamic covenant with Adam, God and Adam. Noahic between God and Noah. Abrahamic between God and Abraham. Mosaic, which is God and the people, Mount Sinai, the Davidic covenant, 
which is the covenant with, between God and David for a, a king will never leave the throne. And then we have the new covenant. The new covenant is mentioned in Jeremiah 31, 31. And it's also mentioned by Jesus at communion. He says this cup represents what? A new covenant. Right? So as believers, as Christ followers, we are under what's called the new covenant. It's a covenant with Jesus ratified by his blood. It's an agreement between Jesus and the church that he is sanctifying the church as his bride and, and keeping us separate. The covenant agreement started long before uh, the church, though. There's what's called a Caesarean covenant. And I'm giving you a little bit of information so you understand, understand how significant covenant is. The Caesarean covenant or style treaty is between a king and a vassal. So the king makes a covenant and he says, I covenant with you, vassal or servant. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will give everything that you need to be in my kingdom. The vassal says, I covenant with you, king, to serve you, to serve the community, and to, to obey you. So when we take a look at covenants, it follows that Near Eastern in our Western mind, we don't understand, but, it, but when you're a believer and you make that covenant relationship with God, what you're saying is, God, you're my king. I am your servant. God, you are making a covenant with me to provide, to protect, to give me eternal life and all of these things. And as your servant, I promise to serve you and obey you in all of these things. It's the same kind of covenant agreement. In our Western culture, though, we don't hold to our word very well, do we? Covenants are broken all the time. And, and we've got to understand, Joshua is calling the people back to covenant. Back to the Mosaic covenant. To obey the word of God so that God would be their king and they would be his people. And he would serve them and they would obey him in this law. He's calling them into this place. One of the things, though, that we're going to see in this is grace. When you enter into a covenant relationship with God, all covenant relationships with God are all based on God's grace. Question. Does God have to do anything? Is He forced to do it? No. From eternity, He's reaching out to humanity and says, I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. Will God ever break a covenant? No. He never breaks His word. Who's the one that usually breaks covenant? <laughs> we do. Why? Well, because we are frail, we are sinners, we're knuckleheads. We want what we want when we want it. And, and so, by God's grace, He continues to pursue to be in covenant relationship with us. Joshua is calling this group of people, at this time, to renew their covenant with Yahweh God. Because He's going to be gone. Joshua is leaving the earth. He wants to remind them all that God has done. Philosopher George Santayana said this, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. How do you renew your covenant? You remember what God has done. And you base your, your commitment and you rededicate yourself based on what God has done. My hope this morning for you is that you'll renew that covenant relationship with God based on what God has done. The danger is forgetting how you came to the place where you're at, forgetting how you entered into that covenant within that. 
we need to remind ourselves often about God's grace and what He's done for us. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through Joshua 24. We'll close out the book with this passage. Giving respect. And we'll hear Joshua's account. It says this, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called for the elders of Israel and all the heads of their judges and all of their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the Jordan, led him through all the land of Canaan, they multiplied his descendants, gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in the midst. And afterwards I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea in Egypt and pursued your fathers in chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and then brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And, I, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hands, and I took possession of their land, and when I destroyed them before you. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had, blessed, so he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. And then you crossed over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite, and the Pezerite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Gigarite, Hivite, and the Jebusite. And thus I gave them into your hands. And then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. And you are eating of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river in the Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites or whose land was living are in the living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us out of the, out, and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all of the way which we went and among the people through whom midst we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites, who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Well, then Joshua said to the people, You'll not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He is gone, or after He has done good to you. And then the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. 
Now therefore, put away foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. They made for him a stat- they made them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. He wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He took the large stone and set it up under the oak that is in the sanctuary by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you that you do not deny your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. What came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now they buried the bones of Joseph which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt and Shechem in a place of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. And he came to the inheritance of Joseph's son. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah of Phinehas, his son, which was given him all the hill country of Ephraim. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So what did Joshua do? Joshua gave to the nation of Israel and called them to remember the words of the Lord. In fact, if you notice when we read in verses 1 through 13, the the pronoun I, as if God was speaking himself, it was Joshua who was the conduit speaking to the people the words of God. And what did he do? He rehearsed the history of the Abrahamic covenant, of how it all began within this. Now, Joshua in verse 1, gathered all the people to Shechem. Shechem was now the, the city where the tabernacle was. It was the holy place. It was the place of worship. They're all gathered into there. And what's interesting and important about Shechem is this. Shechem was the exact same place where God initiated the first covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, we read... Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moriah. And now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Israel has now come to full circle. They started with Abraham and this blessing here in Genesis 12. With Abraham, he received this and they'd, wandered, they'd already been in this land. When did Israel take ownership of this land? Genesis 12. It was Israel's land. God says, I will give it to you. But they had to go out and they would go out to Egypt and wander and then they would come back. They're back in full circle of the place of promise within this. Shechem was also the place where Jacob had worshipped God, built an altar there, Genesis 33. It was also the place where Moses commanded an altar to be built when they entered into the land, when they came in and he he said, When you go in the land, because remember, Moses didn't go in the land, right? He was kept out. But he says, when you go into the land, go back to where? Shechem. Build an altar there. Why? Because it was the place of the first promise. It was the place of the first covenant. 
and, and, and rededicate yourself there. We read about that in Deuteronomy 27, verses 4 and 5. And so Israel as a nation is coming back to Shechem, and what are they doing in Shechem? They're remembering the faithfulness of God. If you ever get lost, if you ever wander, if you ever want to be able to get to that, that, that place where you reconnect with God, find that place of promise. Get back to that first place. Start back at the beginning. Remember, it is important for us as a people to be able to drive stakes in the sand, to be able to say, this is where... I either committed my life, I rededicated my life, I was baptized, or whatever the case is, you come back to those places because we need those memorials. We need those places of remembering promise within this. And so in verses 2 through 13, Joshua rehearses the history. Now, I said this is a covenant of grace. Why is it a covenant of grace? It's a covenant of grace because this. Who was Abraham before God came to him. He was the son of an idolater. Terah was an idolater, his father. Terah had no clue who Yahweh was. Abraham had no clue who Yahweh was. It was holy God coming to an idolater and saying, I choose you. You know what's also interesting about this? God comes to Abraham. He didn't come to Terah, the father, and he didn't come to Abraham's brothers that were there. He had three brothers. Abraham had Nahor and he had Haran. He chose one of the three brothers to build a nation. One of the three. Why didn't he choose all three? Why didn't he choose Terah? God's sovereign choice. God chose Abraham. Why? Because through Abraham... Not only would he build a nation that would be a light to the Gentiles, but through Abraham he would provide the Messiah. And he had this promise. That's an act of grace. Have you ever wondered why God chose you? God, why would you choose me? Do you not know who I was? And the answer is what? Yeah. But while we were yet in sin, Jesus died for us. God chose you before you ever had a clue who he was. You're here today by God's grace, by God's mercy, not by your works. And you say, well, if God really knew who I was, would he still choose me? The answer is what? Yes. So God chose Abraham. He wanted Israel to understand this, that God would choose this, this son of a pagan idolater. He chose him specifically by name. He called out to him. And it was God's sovereign choice to reveal himself through Abraham and this blessing. And he says, and this blessing was passed on through Isaac, through Jacob, and even through Esau. Interesting enough, Esau was given a blessing. But he was given a blessing of Mount Seir. Now that would be in the southeast side, down below the Dead Sea. And he was given the mountain country that was there. And, and so he wasn't totally cast out. But then God said, okay, Jacob and Israel, I'm going to send it to Egypt. And you say, well, God, wait a minute. Why did you have us leave the land that you promised us? Send us into Egypt, into slavery. 
and then deliver us. When you figure out God's plan, let me know. Because you can't. Looking back, we can see that God started with 70 or 72, depending on, on what portion of the text went into Egypt. But they came out of Egypt in millions. They went in as a clan. They came out as a nation. Why? Because there was a number of things that were going on within this. Genesis chapter 15 verse 16 says one of the reasons is this. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. <clears throat> Genesis 15 says this. I am taking you out of the land. I'm putting you in Egypt for a while. Incubation. We're going to build a nation. Meanwhile, in the land, the Amorites' sin is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Why didn't he leave them in the land? Because the sin was going to get worse. And he says, I want to get you out. And I'm going to put you over here in Egypt for a while. And then I'm going to, it's going to, be, going to give me a platform to be able to show how great my grace and power is to the whole world. Meanwhile, I'm dealing with the sin of the Amorites and the Canaanites that are here in this land who are not going to come to faith, who are not going to hear anything. They're just going to get worse. So I'm going to take you out of that environment. You ever wonder why God moves you? Sometimes God moves you to protect you. You know, I don't want to be moved. Oh, no, God knows more. Just go with it. But how much protection was there? Well, protection was there for a period of time for fourth generations. Why? Abraham and, and such, they knew about Yahweh. Joseph, for sure, within this. Joseph would say, don't leave my bones here, but bring them out. But then he would say to them, look at fourth generation, they're not going to know who Yahweh God is. God comes back to Israel while they're in Egypt and reintroduces himself in a very powerful way, and judges the pride of Pharaoh, who was the world leader at that time, within this. And so he sends Moses. God chooses Moses. Now, did, did Moses really have a clue? No, Moses didn't have a clue who Yahweh was. I mean, he kind of probably knew a little bit about it, but not much. He goes to the bush and, and sees this bush burning, and he says, who are you? I am who I am. God introduces himself once again. And through plagues and, and protection, he's there. This generation now sees the power of God. How did they see that? Ten plagues, Pharaoh's army, a big, big body of water, and God says, now I'm going to show up. And now I'm going to show off. And God shows up. People are terrified. Causes darkness. Seize parted. They walk across. And then army, Pharaoh's army comes through. And they die. This generation as kids saw this. Then it says they wandered the wilderness for a long time. You know what's interesting about this? As we read through that text. It says they wandered for a long time. What you don't see is God bringing about the generation that rejected him and had to die. He didn't bring up their past the negative part. He just says, I know that you wandered for a long time within this. All of this history, all of the protection, all to bring them into the land. And then when they got there, they first had to fight against the Amorites, Og and Sihon, if you remember that. The two most fiercest kings in the land. 
And God says, I delivered them. I took them out. It wasn't what you did. It was what I did. Now, Israel did fight. But God did the work. And then they get into the land and they fought against the Og and, and Sihon. And even when Balaam, if you remember that, tried to bring curse, right? On behalf of Balak. And God says, nope, every time you try to curse him, I'm just going to bless you. That didn't work. But he didn't bring up the failures. But he brought back God's faithfulness. God, God rehearsed the history as it pertained to him within this. And he says, I fought for you. And in verses 11 to 13, I brought you into the land. And he named seven different nations. All the ites that are in there. And he says, and I fought all the ites for you. And now you're in this land. And then he says, I even sent hornets. And this is a puzzling passage. I looked, you know, it's like, well, what do you mean hornets? I don't remember reading about hornets. It's only mentioned once earlier in Exodus chapter 23, 28 says this, I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. Have you ever seen a hornet's nest? Do you ever want to poke a hornet's nest? How many junior hires have ever poked a hornet's nest? Even dumb people know it's not a good idea. Junior hires haven't met, made that level yet, but you think about it. Everybody knows you don't poke a hornet's nest. So God's using an analogy. He didn't actually send hornets. But what he sent was the fear of poking a hornet's nest. What happened with Sion and Og? That sent fear into all the ites that were in the land. The Canaanites, the Hivites, and all the other ites that were in there. And when Israel came into the land, and if you remember with Rahab the harlot, they said, we heard what happened. We don't want to mess with you. And God sent that fear of attack as this nation was there. And then finally God says this, I gave you houses, I gave you cities, I gave you vineyards, I gave you this land that was all there. And you're now living in it. You're living in the blessing that I promised Abraham. I promised it here in Shechem, and I rehearsed the full circle of history that brought you right back into this place of blessing that is there. Now, why would God do all of this? Because He wanted to reveal how great He is. And how, how much He wanted to bless the people. This Thanksgiving, think about all the blessings that God has given to you. The full circle of your life. And historically, how God has been with you every step of the way to bring you to where you are. Is God done with you yet? No. So don't be done with God. Come to that place where you, where you are there, where you understand that God is there with you, walking with you. Is the life easy? No. Was it easy for the nation of Israel? No, it wasn't. Did they have stumbles and did they have failures? Absolutely they did. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. 
But always remember the faithfulness of God and rededicate yourself unto God. God is not going to abandon you. God will keep you. And I can tell you this, life is always better with God than without. Always better. So when you find yourself in that desolate place, find your Shechem and go back and remember, renew your covenant with God, even if you have to do it daily for a while. Find your Shechem and remember the history of what God has done for you. And that's what Joshua does in verses 24 to 28. He brings the people historically to this place. The day of choosing. If you notice in verse 20, 14, it says this. Now, therefore, based on all of this, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river of Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, when you look at that, just that passage alone, he says now. That means today, right? Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't put off till tomorrow what you need to do today. Renew your covenant today. And it starts with reverence. He says, fear the Lord or reverence the Lord and serve him with sincerity. That word sincerity in, in the New Testament in Greek, it literally means without wax. What they used to do is they'd make a statue out of marble. But if somebody, you know, as you're chipping off the statue and you chipped off the nose. Well, how do you fix it? You got all this work into it. Well, they would get wax and they would mold a nose out of wax and they put it on the statue and then they would sell it. Well, what happened when the sun hit the statue? So the word in, in the New Testament literally means without wax. That it's pure. That it's with integrity. Fear and respect the Lord and serve Him with integrity within this. Because your integrity is who you are when no one's looking. When no one's looking, who are you? Serve the Lord with integrity. He says, now put away the idols. What does that imply? They have idols. They have idols. I know. I know what's going on. You've got some idols. You've got to do some business. Forsake all the other things. What does he say? Forsake all the other things that are vying for your affection that's taking you away from God. Get rid of them. And serve Him with integrity, not with duplicity. Serve the Lord with sincerity. It, it means perfection, wholeness, blameless. And He says, and put away the idols. Now, this is an important part of this. He says, put away the idols that was beyond the river. What was the river? Not the Jordan, the Euphrates. Who lived beyond the Euphrates? Abraham. He says, put away the idols of your forefathers that lived beyond the Euphrates. There is a thing called ancestral idolatry or ancestral sins. He says, put away the sins that were part of your family's generation. Don't bring them into your life. Put away the sins of idolatry that Terah and Abraham were practicing. Don't bring those things forward. Don't bring those things forward that your ancestors worshipped Baal when they were in Egypt. Don't bring those things forward. And don't bring forth the sins or the idols of the people of the community that you're living in now. Because they were still there. 
the greatest threat in your faith journey is going to be ancestral sinful behavior that's been part of your generation way back when, alcoholism, anger, whatever it is, that will impact your journey today. Get rid of it. The second attack is those sins and those things that are part of the culture today that you're living in. Whatever it is. The things that, that, that want to contaminate your life now. So Joshua says, serve the Lord and get rid of the ancestral generational garbage. Don't let that stuff come forward. And get rid of the stuff that is in, impacting you today. That society, that TikTok or, or Instagram or Facebook or whatever new package thing it is. Get rid of it. And serve the Lord with sincerity. Make the choice. Verse 15. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served beyond the river Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites or in the land that you're living. But as for me and my house, what does he say? We will what? Serve the Lord. Interesting statement. If it's disagreeable for you, if it's disagreeable, it's, it's interesting that he would say this. He, he gives them an option. Why would Joshua, the leader of the nation, give them an option? Because it comes down to personal choice. Sovereign call, personal choice. If you find it offensive to serve Yahweh God, go serve those other gods. Let's see how that works out for you. You have your choice. You all have a choice. You all know people that have walked away from their relationship with God from time to time. Maybe they've walked away and they haven't returned. Because they've made that choice. To be able to do this, he says, if it's evil in your eyes, in this, if you find it offensive to serve Yahweh God, then go serve those other gods. He doesn't mandate righteousness. You cannot mandate righteousness or holiness. You can't. I can tell my kids, you will be a Christ follower. And what are they going to do? Yeah, right, Dad. I can't force somebody to do that. You have to make that choice. Today, you have to make that choice. Am I going to serve the Lord today or am I going to serve the gods of the world? We have to make that choice every day. And in dedicating and choosing ourselves to the Lord, we have to make that choice all the time. Joshua says, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. It's very interesting the way this is framed out because Joshua is the leader getting ready to die. And he says, for as for me and my household, or those whom I have authority under my roof. As a parent of adult children, once my adult children leave my house, my authority, they're going to make their choice. I can't do anything about it because they are no longer under my household. My authority. Joshua says, I am the leader of the nation, but as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. But you're going to have to choose. Why? There is nobody that will step up after Joshua as a leader. He doesn't have a son. It was Moses, Joshua, and then it, it's going to go into the judges within that. There is no national leader. You have to make that choice. You all have households. You're going to have to make those choices. But as 
as God's amazing grace has been revealed in your past history, why would you not choose? If you look historically at how God's called you and He's moved, why would you not choose in the greatness and the faithfulness of God within us? In God's divine initiative, you can reject grace, but we'll see how that works for you. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. People within this, verse 16 to 18, they confess their decision. They said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Oh, man, unthinkable. Why would we ever do that? Have you not read the book of Judges? It's easy to make a confession to the Lord when everything is going good, isn't it? But when life gets difficult, they tend to abandon. Everything was working. It's called a fair-weather covenant. A fair-weather Christian. It's easy to serve God when everything's good in my life. But when it's difficult, oh, I don't know. Maybe God abandoned me. God doesn't abandon. So Joshua calls him in verses 19 to 23 to be real. Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. What's interesting about that is Joshua has a little bit of insight. He says, You're giving pretty good lip service right now. But you're not going to be able to do it. Why? Because God's a holy God and you're, you're messed up. We can dedicate ourselves. We can say, God, I'm going to serve you. God, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I am never, ever going to go back with that. Be careful. It's a challenge. Unless you renew and rededicate that covenant relationship, you have the potential. We all do. God is a holy God. He's a just God. And, he, and, and it's impossible for us to perfectly serve Him. That's why grace is there. We will break our covenant with God from time to time. But you know what? God's grace is greater than our failures. God's grace is greater than our sin. When you find yourself and you've messed up and you've crossed the line, come back to Him. In the book of Judges, when you read that book, there's a cycle that they go through. Sin, sorrow, suffering, and then redemption. God brings these cycles around within this. God is this jealous God, and, and God says, I, there's only one. In fact, in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, it says this, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of, of what is in heaven or above and earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them, serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting, note, the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing chesed, loving kindness, to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. God says, look it, be dedicated. Can you think of a king who really blew that? His name would be Solomon. Why? Because he gave his heart over to women who were idolaters. And so he followed the gods of, of some of these women. Second Kings 11. Yet, Joshua accepts their covenant. And in verses 24 to 28, they confess it. They said, we will serve the Lord God and we will obey Him. Okay, good. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to write this down. 
and we're going to write it down on the scroll of the law. We're going to keep it in the holy place and we're going to erect a stone. Why? Because this stone hears you. Now, question. Do rocks have ears? No. But it's the idea of you're making this testimony in front of this stone. Then this stone is going to be a witness for every generation. When they come to this stone and, and some kid goes, hey, dad, why is this stone here? Oh, that's the, that's the stone of Joshua that says it heard that we have a commitment unto Yahweh. Yahweh? Who's Yahweh? This monument was to be a teaching point. And it was put next to a tree that was next to the tabernacle. Trees always hold a very special place in the nation of Israel because they're places of commitment. In fact, archaeologists have found in Shechem, when they did the excavation, they found a very large limestone that they, that they are pretty sure was Joshua's stone that was there within this. We know that Abraham was by this tree. Genesis 12, 6 says, Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanites were in the first land. Wouldn't it be pretty cool if that was the same tree? Wouldn't it be amazing when we think about this? We need to remember those covenants. Why? Because the people that led us into that, that place, they're going to pass, and, and we want to be able to be in, in, in that place that honors and remember what they gave us. I can think of people that, um, that have ministered to me. My pastor, Chuck Smith, who has gone to be with the Lord many, many years ago, I, can, I remember the day that I, I came to faith at Calvary Costa Mesa and, and listening to him where he said, you need to choose this day. You need to choose this day. You either dedicate your, dedicate your life to, to Christ. Give him 30 days of lordship. Surrender your soul and your heart and see if he will change you. And he did. That was a long time ago. Chuck's gone on to be with the Lord. Just like Joshua, who went on to be with the Lord. He was leaving a memorial, these last words that were there, and he says, remain loyal. Joshua died. And so within this, he was buried in his, in his land. We know that Joshua's last words were to the people, and it, this serves as a link to Judges. But listen to how Judges encapsulates what happens. Joshua chapter 2, verses 6 to 9 says this. When Joshua had dismissed the people and the sons of Israel, each to his own inheritance, to possession, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen the great work of the Lord, which he had done. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, they buried him in the territory inheritance in Timnath Harris in the hill country that was there. But in verse 10, it says this, All that generation also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, note, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Who survived in following after the Lord in the covenant? The first generation. Who started to wander? The second generation. Who was completely abandoning their faith? The third generation. So what's the solution? 
the solution is become a first-generation believer. God does not have grandchildren. God does not have great-grandchildren. God has children. And, and one of the dangers is trying to be a believer based on your parents' faith. Trying to be a believer based on your grandparents' faith. No. It is your faith that matters. And only when you confess and believe. Joshua was buried. History says that they buried him with the knives that they used from the circumcision, which was part of the covenant. Joseph's bones were carried all throughout the land. They buried Joseph's bones in Shechem, which was the same place where his father had bought land for his burial. Where is your Shechem? Where is the place where you have dedicated your life to the Lord? You. Not your parents, not your grandparents, you. Where is the place that you go back to renew that relationship with the Lord? You can rededicate yourself to the Lord and you can refocus. You can do that every day if you want. Or as needed. But you have to refresh that relationship. And you do that by remembering God's gracious calling on your life. You do that by renewing that relationship with God. And you do that totally by saying, today I'm going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can remember and renew our covenant relationship with you. As Joshua called the people to renew their relationship, Lord, I call this congregation and those that hear my voice, whether they're online or, or they're in this room, they're right now that they will focus. And as we're praying, do you remember who God is? Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember your journey of faith and God's grace time and time and time again? That is what's going to strengthen your covenant relationship with God. And perhaps this morning, you've never had that, that, that time. Then today, today, covenant with God, say, today, I will serve you. Today, I will... I will ask that you will forgive me of all of my sin as I put away the idols, put away the things, and follow after you. That is your decision. And if you feel God moving on your heart, then you need to do some serious conversation with God. And He will hear you, He will bless you, and He will save you. God, I thank you for this time. May you continue to work in our lives in the days to come. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ is my reward all of my
everything I need is in you. Everything I need, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. God, as we move through this life and this journey of faith, may we be fully committed to you and every day choose you because life with you is much better than any kind of life in the world without you. We praise you and we thank you for this morning and all that you're doing. And may you lead us in the path of righteousness in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.